This call is being recorded. We will share the recording after the event on our website, youreyes.org, and via email. Again, all of the recordings from this event and previous town halls are available at youreyes.org. Our recordings have timestamps to help you navigate to the topics that interest you most. This forum is both a place to learn and a place to share. We welcome you to share what you are experiencing and feeling, as well as ideas you have to overcome unique challenges. We are happy to provide as much useful information as we can today, but please keep in mind, this call is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We encourage you to communicate with your medical providers regarding any personal medical questions. Housekeeping for today's meeting. All participants are initially muted in an effort to reduce background noise on the call. To unmute yourself on the call, dial star star, also referred to as the asterisk key on your telephone's keypad. If you are using a smartphone, you must have your screen unlocked. The meeting software uses audible alerts to indicate the participant is muted or unmuted. Some phones have self-mute options. This option will not unmute yourself from the call, so please refrain from using this option. Only star star will unmute yourself. We will re-mute you once you are completed with your question or comment. There is a limited amount of time on the call today and with the number of people dialed in, we may not be able to address every question or concern. We are hosting this call each month and are interested in hearing from you. If you do not have an opportunity to ask your question, please contact us at 301-951-4444 or at events at youreyes.org. Again, that's 301-951-4444, or E-V-E-N-T-S as in Sam, at Y-O-U-R-E-Y-E-S as in Sam, dot O-R-G. If you have questions for next time, send them to us, and we will be able to address them. We know there may be a few vendor representatives on the call. Welcome. If you have information to share that you may believe to be helpful, please share it with our Low Vision Learning Center hotline at 301-951-4444. At this time, I will hand off to Sean Curry, POB's Senior Programs Manager. All right, thank you, Nick, and good morning, everyone. I hope everyone's having a good week so far. Man, it's getting warmer outside. I hope you get a chance to enjoy your time out there at some point. Um, so I just have a couple of announcements before we get started. Um, these are going to be very short because I want to give enough, enough time to the speakers, and I'll have a couple more later on um, afterwards as well. First off, stay tuned for your in your mail and email for our next town hall. We will be sure to communicate with you as soon as we know the date and the topic. So please stay tuned. We're looking forward to it. Summertime's a coming, so we want to make sure that we're giving you all enough time ahead of schedule. 
In addition, we have made it even easier to listen to recordings of our events. The recordings are available on our website, URIs.org, and they're also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other forms that you may use to access, such as Spotify. You can even ask your Amazon Alexa to play recordings with just your voice. If you have an Alexa-enabled device, you can say, Alexa, play Prevention of Blindness Society of Metropolitan Washington podcast. Try it, or you can call our Low Vision Center at 301-951-4444 for assistance. Finally, May is Healthy Vision Month. It's a great time to learn about and prioritize protecting our eyes and preserving our sight. And today, we're honored to have two leaders in the world of vision health education to talk about ways to keep your sight and maintain your health. With that said, I turn over to our moderator, Dr. Suleiman Alibi. Thank you, Sean. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back. Or if you're joining for the first time, it's great to have you as well. So we started these town hall meetings in response to the pandemic almost 14 months ago now, and it looks like we might be getting close to overcoming this pandemic. Nevertheless, we are committed to continuing these meetings given all the interest and response we've had. So thank you for participating. Continue to let us know how we're doing and let us know what topics are of interest to you. So Sean mentioned May is Healthy Vision Month and this gives us an opportunity to discuss what more can we do to preserve and or improve the health of our eyes regardless of whether we have low vision or not. To that extent, the National Eye Institute, which is right here, back in our, right here in our backyard at NIH, has championed that cause by sponsoring clinical trials, stimulating research into different causes of vision loss, and most importantly, educating healthcare providers and the general public about the issues related to the health of our eyes. To accomplish that, the National Eye Institute created NEHAP, or the National Eye Health Education Program. So rather than me trying to elaborate on what NEHAP does, how it functions, I'll introduce our two very distinguished guests and ask them to tell us more about the program. I really appreciate both of them taking time out of their busy schedules to join us today. And even though our meeting, as you all know, who call in regularly run to, runs till about 12.30 p.m., they will both need to get back to their busy schedules and seeing patients by about 12 noon. So they will leave at 12 noon, but we will, as usual, allow for questions. So without further, in, further ado, we have with us today Dr. Mark Wilkinson. He is the NEHAP Low Vision Subcommittee Chair and works at the University of Iowa's Carver College of Medicine, Stephen A. Wynn Institute for Vision Research. There he serves as Director of the Department of Ophthalmology and Visual Sciences. Mark completed his optometry training at the Illinois College of Optometry, and I know Mark well. He's a fellow low vision specialist, 
His interests including, include driving competency with visual acuity, visual field, and or cognitive impairment. He is also studying the benefits of rehabilitative interventions for individuals with vision impairment. Joining Mark this morning is Dr. Julia Rosedahl. Dr. Rosedahl is the new NEHAP chair. She is a practicing glaucoma specialist and a clinician scientist at the Duke Eye Center, where she also teaches medical students and ophthalmology residents. Julia is certified by the American Board of Ophthalmology and Fellowship trained in glaucoma. She completed her medical and graduate training at Case Western Reserve University Medical Scientist Training Program. Her PhD focuses on how retinal cells are affected by glaucoma, and she has authored several journal articles. So, Dr. Rosedahl, if you are there and you can, you should be unmuted. If you can begin by introducing what NEHEP is to us, please. Oh, thank you so much. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Carry on. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. I'm just delighted to be part of this town hall today. Um, thank you so much for having us. And I'm going to be talking about the National Eye Health Education Program, or NEHEP, as you mentioned. Um, I'm the chair of the planning group, and we'll be um, uh, talking kind of conversation style a little bit with Dr. Mark Wilkinson. So I'm going to start off with our remarks, sharing a bit of background about NEHEP, and then I'm going to pose some questions to Dr. Wilkinson so he can elaborate about what NEHEP is working on with regards to low vision and vision rehabilitation. And then I believe we'll be able to open it up uh, to questions at that time, too. We're really looking forward to answering questions that uh, the callers have. So the National Eye Health Education Program, or NEHEP, helps the National Eye Institute prevent vision loss by educating Americans about eye health. And it started in 1988 when Congress directed the National Eye Institute to establish NEHEP to develop education programs for professionals and for the public. The overall goal of NEHEP is to collaborate with strategic partners to promote eye health as a public health priority and prevent vision loss through outreach and education. And NEHEP includes two groups, the NEHEP Planning Group and the NEHEP Partnership. And the planning group is a panel of experts, including Dr. Wilkinson and me um, and others, experts in eye health, health education and communication and community outreach. And the planning group, we work to help recommend NEHEP priorities, to help guide NEHEP activities, to materials and resources that NEHEP develops, and to help facilitate cooperation among our partners. And the partnership is really a wonderful part of NEHEP. The partnership is a national network of more than 60 public and private organizations that are committed to eye health education. Um, and these organizations and this partnership uh, work to promote eye health in communities across America. Uh, the collaboration helps to create resources and tools that we can use to raise awareness in um, our communities the partnership helps to create and implement eye health related campaigns 
and um, really cross-promote campaigns and events and resources <clears throat> amongst, the uh, amongst the partners. So the NEHEP, um, the NEHEP has six unique eye health education program areas that we work on. One of them is the diabetic eye disease program area where we work to raise awareness about the need for people with diabetes to get a dilated eye exam. There's the glaucoma program uh, to work on raising awareness about glaucoma among people at highest risk for it. There's also our Ojo Con Vision program to promote eye health among Hispanics and Latinos. The Vision and Aging program to provide healthcare professionals with tools and guidance for educating older adults about eye health. There's a Write the Vision program for raising awareness about eye health issues among African Americans. And then the one that we'll spend uh, most of our time hearing uh, from Dr. Wilkinson about is our low vision program area. And this is about raising awareness about the benefits of vision rehabilitation services for children and adults with low vision. So Dr. Wilkinson, I think our listeners would love to hear from you about NEHEP's vision rehabilitation program. Would you talk a bit about this program? I'm happy to. I assume everyone can hear me, correct? We yes, can hear thank you, Mark. Go ahead. Okay, good. Okay. So um, the vision rehabilitation um, arm of NEHAP is really designed to get people to be aware that there are things that can be done to enhance their function if they've experienced a loss of vision. So we know that many times it's frustrating for eye care providers when there isn't anything medically or surgically uh, that they can do to try and help somebody see better. Um, conditions like diabetic retinopathy, macular degeneration, glaucoma cataracts, and, and various inherited diseases, albinism, optic atrophy, you know, labor, hereditary optic neuropathy. There's lots of different things that can affect vision and that can't be helped medically or surgically, but there are many things that can be done to help improve the quality of life of individuals with vision loss. And, you know, the nice thing now in my 41 years of doing this is there's so much more we can do now with technology, with simple things like tablets and smartphones that can make life much, much easier. So I think what we need to do if you are experiencing loss of vision that your eye care provider can't help you to see to do the things that you want to do as effectively as you have in the past is to ask them for a referral. And obviously in, in that in the Washington, D.C. area, you have the Prevention of Blindness Society of Metropolitan Washington, D.C. that can help you with those things. Um, if you happen to be listening from, from other places, um, you need to ask your eye care provider, you know, can you make a referral for me to get services for individuals who are visually impaired? Um, and there's lots of things that can be done, both with technology, um, with different types of devices. It's not just stronger glasses or magnifiers. There's many, many things that we can do. And I'm sure that uh, the folks on the, on the call will have some specific questions that we can answer about that. Um, the key for everybody, of course, and, and the underlying message for NEHAP is we need regular dilated eye exams, certainly if you're diabetic, um, but even if you're not, we need to make sure that your eyes stay as healthy as possible. That means eating a heart-healthy diet and wearing sunglasses when you're outdoors and uh, certainly using eye protection when doing at-risk activities. Um, knowing your family history, if you're more at risk for developing eye problems over time and, and paying attention to those things. Um, but so we obviously the first thing is trying to prevent vision loss. 
Um, but if it happens, know that there are many things that can be done to help people still have qualitatively uh, enjoyable lives um, using devices, maybe doing things in a little bit different way. Um, but certainly you don't have to give up on many of the activities that you've done in the past. Thank you so much, Mark. I think the only thing I would add is to encourage everyone to wear safety glasses um, to protect their eyes. Um, are there any other general recommendations that you have for people who are, who are blind or visually impaired? Well, I, I mean, I think that the, the big thing is to seek out um, the care of a vision rehabilitation specialist to see what tools and strategies are out there to help you continue to do the things that you want to do. So. Um, that's, you know, your regular eye care provider has provided good care for you for a long time, but for reasons out of their control, maybe you've lost some vision, you're having difficulty, um, whether it's driving, um, seeing to work on a computer, seeing to read, uh, going to sporting events or, or shows or any of those things. And there's lots of different tools and strategies that can be done to help people continue to enjoy those activities. But it, diff it differs for everybody because how your vision is affected different, differs from one person to the next. So that's why you need a, a plan specific to you. you. We can't make generalizations of, you know, you have macular degeneration, so you need this device, or you have glaucoma, so you need that device. Um, it, it's very much an individualized plan designed to help you see to do the things that you're, you want to do, that you're having trouble with at this point. That is really good advice. Um, I have some more questions for Mark, but I also wanted to um, make sure that we had uh, a chance to hear from the others on the call. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Julia. I think this is a nice introduction to what NEHEP does and the resources offered through the National Eye Institute and the NIH. We're so fortunate that we have the NIH here in our backyard, literally. And many, many of uh, the callers here have participated in some of these clinical trials being held at the National Eye Institute. So I'd, I'd like to begin by asking the first question, and this is a question we get a lot. A lot of our callers and patients often tell us that they're, ne they're never quite sure how to access some of these resources and what what are the different types of resources that are available? Are you, are you able to touch a little bit on that, either Mark or Julia? So, um, you know, I think one of the things that I would, all, that we didn't mention yet is certainly go to the NEI website and you can go to the NEHAP website and you can see a variety of different resources that are available talking about different types of eye problems. Um, giving lists of, of uh, different organizations that provide services and stuff. To me, the starting point, of course, is to start with your eye care provider and tell them the problems that you're having and ask them for a referral. Uh, obviously, in D.C., you've got uh, your society there, the Prevention of Blindness Society. Um, you've got low vision services that are there. That may not be as readily available in other parts of the country um, where resources are a little bit more scattered, but, but certainly that's the starting point. Um, we have a number of partners um, uh, that Julia mentioned that have great resources. Hadley uh, is one out of Chicago, hadley.edu. You can go there uh, to their website, register for free, and they have a variety of different um, videos that they put together talking about technology, talking about different activities of daily living, 
um, and they're nice short videos that give you good, useful information, practical information about what you can do to help yourself function more efficiently. But I think getting with um, rehab professionals, be that a low vision rehabilitation uh, eye care provider uh, and or different rehab um, services, occupational therapy, physical therapy, those things can all help the person with vision loss be able to function better depending on their specific needs and concerns. And so that's the first thing is, you know, I'm having trouble doing X, Y, and Z. And so how do we find the resources um, and the specific people to help you with those things? Thank you. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree useful. completely. Go ahead, Julia. Thank you. Oh, I just wanted to um, make sure that everyone heard those websites. The uh, NEHEP website or the National Eye Institute website is nei.nih.gov. And the Hadley website is hadley.edu. And I agree with Mark completely. It's really a combination between um, the vision rehabilitation specialist and the resources and services and so that you're you're really getting um, a personalized tailored um, things for for you and what you need wonderful wonderful these are wonderful resources to have and as this call is being recorded so for those of you who are not able to write those things down don't worry you'll be able to go back and listen to the links as they've been discussed here so let me open the floor and ask any of the callers today if they have any specific questions, concerns, or issues, you can address it with um, either Mark or Julia. Sean, you can let the, uh, you may want to elaborate again on how to unmute yourself if you want to ask a question. Absolutely. Uh, as a reminder to everyone to unmute yourself, you want to press star, star, it's the asterisk key, so you want to press it twice. And that's how you'll be able to unmute yourself, and you will be prompted to say that you are unmuted at that time. Okay, thank you, Sean. Go ahead. Anybody has a question out there? <clears throat> Hi, Hi, can you hear me? Oh. Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. Hi, my name is Kevin Cross. I have been on the town hall before. Um, really good information about getting help uh, to work differently to achieve the same goals. Um, I was able to get involved with DOORS, the Department of Rehabilitative Services, uh, Maryland, I think the Department of Maryland Education runs that program. And I lost my sight at an older age, I was 55. But I had to learn to do things differently to continue living a, a productive life. And you can do it. It does take a little time and patience. But just a quick example, through the pandemic, I was able to buy a new home and start a business with the help of the Department of Rehabilitative Services. And I'm currently in the RISE program there, reaching independence through self-employment. So everything is possible when you have low vision and lose your sight. You just can't give up. You have to learn to do things a little differently. That's all. I think that's a great point. And one of the things that I oftentimes will tell people is, you know, when your vision has been compromised, you're going to have to do things in a little bit different way. 
So what yep. that means is we can't just give you a new pair of glasses that like you did your whole life. You know, if we didn't see well, we got new glasses and everything was great. And um, we can't necessarily do that anymore. We have to do things in a little bit different way. But um, if you're willing to make that compromise and change the way you do things a little bit, you can still be very successful and have an excellent quality of life. And I really appreciate your story. Thank you. And congratulations, Kevin, on uh, your new home and your company. Good work. Yes, I will be talking to Sean about a vending opportunity because I did create a product that people can use who have lost their sight. So I would like to uh, talk to him about a vending opportunity with this group eventually. <clears throat> Dr. Alibi, Kevin, this is Joe. Yes, go ahead, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Didn't mean to interrupt you. Uh, this is a question for Mark and or Julia. Three parts to it, if you will. Um, does, any, does NEI have any volunteer activities for people who are blind or have low vision that maybe would be available to talk to patients, say, hey, I've been through this, you know, it's not the, you, you can manage and there, there are opportunities for you. Secondly, are there any paid research studies that people can, with low vision or blindness can be or can avail themselves of? And uh, third, if someone has a research background, are there peer review opportunities or opportunity, yeah, uh, peer review opportunities um, just as there are at NIH? I'll answer the first one. So. On the uh, NEHAP website, you'll see um, videos that we put together about 10 years ago now, and so they're a little bit dated just in, the, in style and stuff, um, but they still give the same good message, and it's, they're called Living with Low Vision. And so they're profiles of a variety of different individuals of different ages who have experienced vision loss and the things that they've done to help manage that and how they've continued to lead a, an excellent quality of life. Um, despite having their vision loss. So I would encourage people to go to the website and watch those videos um, just to get, you know, a little bit better idea of someone like you. I think many times people are already of the opinion, well, I don't know anyone else who's having this problem. And, and certainly we know that, that vision loss is, is not an uncommon thing. Um, as far as research and, and uh, peer reviewers, I, I don't know, Julia, do you have any information about that? I think that, um, Joe, you would need to reach out directly to the National Eye Institute um, uh, about those types of opportunities. I think okay. that there is a really significant push um, in research in general to make things much more patient-oriented and patient-centered. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't some type of opportunity um, there Great. for that. Um, but it would be outside the scope of NEHEP. So please, please follow up on that interest at the National Eye Institute. Thanks so much, Julia. Thank you, Joe. That was a, a very good question. Thank you, Doc. Anybody else? Yes, thank you. Anybody else have a question for Julia or Mark here? Yes, I have a question. Can you hear me? Go ahead. Yes, we can hear you. Go ahead. Uh, this is Robert Rosenberg, and uh, I'm wondering if a referral is necessary if we live in the area to come to the National Eye Institute to get help in learning how to cope with uh, 
our vision problems. Can we make an appointment independent of getting a referral from our eye doctor? Mark and Julie, would you like me to answer that question, perhaps? Yeah, I think you you have a better idea than we do about that. So go ahead. Yeah. Let let me take that question. So, as we've mentioned now, of course, the National Eye Institute's here in Bethesda, and there are certainly a number of clinical trials taking place in which many individuals from this area are involved, and um, many of the callers I know are in some of these clinical trials as well. So as far as the low vision program goes, I myself see patients at the National Eye Institute on a periodic basis. I'm not there full time. Most of you know that I, I practice under the auspices of the Prevention of Blindness Society, but I am at the National Eye Institute, but I see the patients that are already in clinical trials or protocols. In other words, if someone would like a low vision evaluation, it's not that you can call up the National Eye Institute and say, yes, I have low vision and I'd like to make an appointment to have a low vision evaluation and find out about uh, what's available. The National Eye Institute typically requires you to be referred by your regular eye doctor for a specific clinical trial, or maybe you have a condition which is as yet un unidentifiable. Um, and once you get into that clinical trial, you have access to the services, like the services I provide. And there's even an occupational therapist at the National Institutes of Health who, who does some low vision rehabilitation. They have genetic counselors and they have social workers and so on and so forth. But in order to access and get um, all that service, you first need to be part of a clinical trial. And so that's where you would need your regular eye doctor to first refer you for one of these clinical trials, once you're accepted into that program, then you would get this sort of low vision evaluation process. The NEHAP program we're discussing today is really about um, provi providing education, both to the public and to, to healthcare providers, that look, there is more that can be done, and here are some of those resources. So I hope that clarifies things and helps a little. Yes, very good. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Mark or Julia, did you want to add anything to what I said or clarify anything? I just wanted no, I to um, add that I think that it is really quite helpful when a referral does happen, you know, to the low vision service uh, that might be helping people out in, you know, in other areas that that referral does help the low vision List, um, you know, with all of that medical background about the patient, help tailor the care uh, to them. Uh, so I think a, a referral is an important part of that process. Um, but uh, Mark is a, an expert in this area, so he, he can uh, definitely fill us in. 
I think his question about you know referral to the NEI and 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 NIH is is uh, was answered perfectly by Suleiman. So I think that's the answer. He knows how that works out there. So you need to be in a clinical trial to get that you know get those services directly there. So okay, uh, but certainly Thank for you. patients that are not are not in um, the the Bethesda Washington D.C. area who might be looking for uh, vision rehabilitation, um, I think a referral is useful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that yeah. the, um, you know, certainly getting a referral for low vision services is helpful, um, but I don't think that that should be the thing that should prevent you. If you can't get your eye care provider to make a referral, um, contact the service that is close to you and see if they'll see you without a referral. I think many people will. We want to get you the the care that you need, and uh, and you know providers can sort things out with or without a referral. A referral is always helpful, um, but it's not. It's certainly not mandatory for me. Thank you. Yes, Mark, that's very helpful. And as as the callers know, the Prevention of Blindness Society has that phone number, which Sean will repeat at the end, where you can call and find out what are the local resources, like Kevin mentioned, the Department of Rehabilitation Services. So you, we're lucky. We live in a large metropolitan area, and we do have very good resources. And so everyone should be taking avail of all those uh, resources that we have, and the prevention of blindness makes all that available uh, to to the entire DMV area. So we, we are fortunate to be here that we have both the, the clinical research end and of course um, the, the low vision resources end as well. Um, again, any other questions out there? Anybody have some comments or anything to say? Please go ahead and unmute yourself. Can you hear me? We can hear you, go ahead. Hi, uh, my name is Joyce, and I have glaucoma as well as corneal issues. And I wanted to know, are there any provisions for uh, people who, I mean, once they know they have the, the problem, then they have to be cared for. But is there anything that can be done to prevent the problem from occurring, like low vision and uh glaucoma and various diabetic problems. I mean, there are a number of eye issues. The, the eye is so tiny, but yet it has so many complications if things go wrong. So I'm just wondering from an educational standpoint, is there something that can be uh, opened up maybe to parents, to the schools, so that the blindness can be prevented or the low vision can be prevented um, before it gets to the point where a person becomes blind and then they have to um, check out all kinds of resources now to live life differently. Well, certainly, um, you know, getting regular eye care is the most important thing. And if you have a family history of of others with vision problems, that's an important consideration for getting that regular eye care. So the key for prevention is is regular eye care. 
Fortunately, there are still some conditions. There are inherited conditions. There's age-related conditions that uh, even if you had a regular eye exam, they, they can still develop. And so uh, certainly for glaucoma, you want to make sure that uh, people are staying on top of your pressure and everything and trying to prevent the damage that comes from glaucoma, prevent the damage that comes from diabetes, uh, those things as best you can. But not every eye condition uh, is there a treatment or prevention for vision loss from those. That said, very few people go totally blind from eye conditions. And so um, certainly if you're getting regular eye exams, um, the mitigation effects that they do to try and prevent that that condition from causing more severe vision loss is very, very important. Julia, thank do you, you have more to add to that? Yes, thank you for... for um, I think that... Go ahead. I just wanted to say, Joyce, that that question is really perfect for our our situation here with NEHEP. That's really what we're about is building awareness about eye health and eye conditions. And as Mark mentioned, uh, the importance of getting regular eye care, uh, complete dilated eye exams on a regular basis, knowing your family history, and protecting your eyes from preventable things like like eye trauma if you're if you're going to be using tools or or, or chemicals or anything. Um, but um, uh, many things cannot be uh, cured in the eye, but we do have many, many good treatments and early diagnosis, early treatment really helps to prevent vision loss in many cases. So um, getting eye care regularly, knowing your family history, protecting your eyes. Thank you so much for that question, Joyce. That's really really key to what we're doing at NEHEP. Okay, and I have a second question. Uh, I just recently learned that stem cell therapy or gene therapy is also being utilized for different eye conditions. Do you know anything about the success of the gene therapy, or is it still um, sort of on a, on a research level? Yeah, the the one um, gene therapy product that's currently available is for a very rare condition called RPE65 labor congenital amaurosis. So there's lots of work being done at many, many institutions, including mine, um, to look at both stem cell replacement, um, so for um, uh, generating stem cells to create new photoreceptors to implant in the eye and also gene therapy. But right now, those are still more research than anything else. And so, you know, we're hoping to be able to start doing some gene and stem cell therapy in the next year. Um, but it's on a, going to be on a very limited basis, and it will be clinical trial stuff. So um, we've got a ways to go, but I'm very optimistic that there are going to be more of these treatments available in the coming years that are going to help um, restore vision for people who have lost vision and also prevent significant vision loss for people who are starting to develop conditions such as retinitis pigmentosa. Okay. And um, Joyce mentioned you have some corneal issues, so there are stem cells um, that are um, on the edge of the cornea that can be used to help some corneal conditions, um, and those are used clinically um, at this time, although I'm not a, a cornea specialist myself. Um, so there are different types of stem cells um, uh, that are being investigated and being used clinically. And as Mark mentioned, many of them that are for the retina, um, the optic nerve, those are just in the research domain. But um, uh, in, in doctor's offices and, and in surgery suites, stem cells for the cornea um, 
are are used for patients with some corneal diseases. Okay, that's good to yeah. know. Thank you. Hello. Yeah, that's my Thank problem. You. I'm always I'm, I'm always thinking about the retina. I'm not thinking about the cornea. So that's my, that, that's a really good point. They've been using stem cells for cornea stuff for quite for a number of years now. So. Hello? Thank you. Those were good questions. Go ahead. I, I hear somebody saying hello. Go ahead. And ask yes. Um, I'm kind of following up with it on what Joyce had asked about. My 94-year-old mom has glaucoma, and it's now resulted in her blindness, but that's why I initially started um, joining these um, town hall discussions. I'm um, really concerned, though, about declines in my eyesight, especially noticeable in the last couple of years, and with the, the issue of visual acuity, um, you know what amount is needed in order to be considered really low vision and i've noticed like increased visual disruption from floaters and difficulty in reading clearly from the computer screen and driving at night and i do have an ophthalmologist i have been seeing the ophthalmologist you know um, annually and my um, situation has been monitored but my particular interest is in learning of perhaps more recently identified research on means of arresting or slowing the progress of my vision decline, um, given my family history. And um, I'm wondering if some of that information or help might be available through NEHAB, or is the focus mainly on learning how to accommodate eyesight problems? It seemed like I was hearing something about um, you know, an e the education component and ho I'm hoping that that might address some of the things that I have concern about. So you, what what have they said is the cause of your vision loss? Um, there's, um, I don't have any particularly identified, like I have not been identified to have glaucoma um, and I have cataracts, but you know, that's, they haven't yeah. indicated that yeah. I need to do anything about that. So yeah. it's, it's the increase in floaters and because of my mom having um, glaucoma and she was, you know, taking, having the eye drops, we still use that, but I think she's really totally blind now. Um, right. So I'm just wanting to know of things that I might do um, that, you know, would be helpful. And if there's something more than going to the ophthalmologist, because I'm getting tracking of, you know, the the situation. Sometimes the pressure is, is a little bit high, but not high enough to, you know, be identified as having glaucoma. I think you bring up, you know, two good questions. So number one, um, and Julia will ask, answer this a little bit more, but, you know, obviously seeing your eye provider, your ophthalmologist on a regular basis to monitor for glaucoma changes and the need for medication is, is important. You brought up another question about, you know, when you would be considered low vision. Um, and, and we really don't use a number for that definition anymore. We use a functional definition. So the functional definition is if you can't see to do the things that you would like to do because of vision loss, and that's not correctable with standard glasses or contact lenses, then you should see a vision rehabilitation specialist to help you function better. So it really is more, you know, it doesn't have to be a certain number, a certain level of vision loss. It's more somebody's having functional difficulties. And then if it's glare, if it's lighting, you know, if it's a contrast, whatever it is, then those are things that a, a vision rehabilitation specialist can work on. But otherwise, um, you know, for, for concerns about glaucoma, continuing to follow up with your ophthalmologist on a regular basis and, and, and they're going to monitor you for changes um, 
that indicate that you've now developed glaucoma, then you know that's really the big thing. Anything more to add to that, Julia? I would just want to um, point out that I think that the vision changes that you're noticing are unlikely to be due to glaucoma if your ophthalmologist, you know, is just monitoring it and hasn't diagnosed it uh, with uh, for you. Glaucoma is a the disease that is called the silent thief of sight. It typically doesn't cause symptoms early on. The symptoms that you're having, you know, are maybe from something else like the cataract or um, uh, just aging in the in the jelly uh, of the eye. And if you're having trouble with your vision, just not feeling like you're seeing as well as you would like to, um, that is something to bring up with your ophthalmologist because he or she may not appreciate, you know, how much the cataract might be bothering you or, or other things going on with, with your eyes. Um, uh, because, um, you know, it sounds like from what you're describing that, you know, you should be seeing better than you are. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Well, I, I agree, and I'm trying to um, find out, you know, if there are things that I can do other than just watch the decline happen, you know, and monitor it. But I appreciate the uh, responses, and thank you very much. And one, one thing I will add. And that, I know, would the encourage – oh, yeah. I was just going to say that the starting point for any vision rehabilitation evaluation is to make sure you have the very best glasses. And so lots of times as as people are concentrating on the health of your eyes, uh, they may not be thinking about your glasses prescription. And so making sure that everyone has the very best glasses prescription they can get is important for maximizing vision. And I would like to people back to um, that uh, NEI website as a great resource for learning more about conditions in the eye and uh, reading about other things that might be helpful. Uh, You know, Mark and I have mentioned just some general things, uh, heart-healthy diet, regular eye exams, um, uh, knowing your family history, um, those sorts of things are, are general. But if you, um, you know, have a particular condition, then there might be um, vitamins or, or diets or, or other kind of things like lubrication that, that might help increase the, the quality of your, your vision. So talking with your eye doctor about what's going on with you specifically and using um, your resources to learn more about it. Uh, so I'd encourage you to read about the diagnoses that you have in your family and in yourself um, and the National Eye Institute is a great is a great resource for that. Thank you. Dr. Rosedahl and Dr. Yes. Wilkinson, there was a question online and a couple things came up and one thing that came from my mind from a lot of this is, you know, we've talked about a lot of things that we can do and we should do. Is there any things that we should stop doing or do less of for our own eye health? Well, the one thing for sure is not to smoke. You know, smoking is bad for all parts of our body, and, and including your eyes. And the other thing is to eat a, a, a good diet, you know, to have a, a reasonably healthy diet, green leafy vegetables, those sorts of things, less processed food. Um, to me, those are two big things that we can do to help our general health and our eye health. Julia, anything to add to that? 
Those are perfect. Those are perfect. I was going to just um, um, give a plug for the 202020 rule. Um, uh, since that question did come online, um, that patient or that person is, is using a computer. And so for all of us who use computers so much, uh, especially nowadays, every 20 minutes, uh, take a 20-second break looking at least 20 feet away uh, to give your eyes a little break from those screens. So um, that's, that's the only thing I would add. That's wonderful. I was just going to add, make sure when you're outdoors, you protect your eyes from UV light. And um, that could mm -hmm. be just wear a hat or a pair of sunglasses. Um, that's probably another one that we get a lot of questions about as well. Yep, that's great. These have been wonderful questions. These have been a very um, lively discussion. I think we may have time for maybe one more question. If anybody out there has a question, go ahead and mute, unmute yourself and ask your question. Yes, go ahead. We hear you. Okay. Um, we've been talking about making reference to clinical trials, and I've gone on the NEI website, and I'm having trouble to find out what kinds of trials are going on now that one might possibly apply for. Uh, where should I go to try to find out more about that? Hello? Yes, we heard the question. Mark or Julia, is there a a place on the NEI website that people can look up specific clinical trials, or is it just the clinicaltrials.gov website that you would direct them to? So the clinicaltrials.gov is the is the site that I know of. Um, I'm not sure if there is something specific for the National Eye Institute, but that clinicaltrials.gov has studies get going on, um, you know, nationally. And so even people who are not living in your area, you know, might be able to find studies that they um, that they would be a, a candidate for. Great. Thank you very much for that information. I have one other question, if there's no other, if I have a moment. Uh, you hear occasionally a lot about supplements, at least I've heard, uh, things like uh, uh, curcumin and uh, ginkgo biloba, items like that. What's your view of the utility of those kinds of supplements? So for my glaucoma patients, if they are um, interested in, in vitamins, I first direct them to getting as many of their vitamins from foods um, with lots of green leafy vegetables, um, whole grains, that sort of thing, um, and uh, just a, a multivitamin, you know, like Centrum Silver or that sort of thing. Um, uh, uh, there isn't any evidence right now that's uh, really strong for supplements and glaucoma, and they're not regulated like drugs are, so it's hard to know what you're getting with, with some of those things. Right. Okay. Thank you. Hi, this is Kevin again. Can you hear me? Go ahead, Kevin. Yep. 
Um, you were talking about the stem cell research and the such. Is there any type of research on retinas? I'm told my retina is the texture of wet tissue paper. Is there any research to restore the health of your retina or strengthen your retina? Also, I did have diabetic neuropathy, so the nerves were growing and bleeding out behind my eyes, so I have some scar tissue as well. Yeah, there there is research that's going on. Um, they're actually looking now. I just uh, saw a presentation uh, on Friday about um, 3D printing um, all the different layers of the retina, which with, with diabetic retinopathy is going to be necessary because you have damage to the um, blood vessels as well as the mm -hmm, photoreceptors. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But, you know, this is still um, research-based. There's no clinical trial for that. But, you know, it's, it's exciting the things that are being worked on right now and that will be, uh, I think, coming available. But, you know, maybe it's, you know, five, ten years down the road. It's not, it's not tomorrow or next month. Um, but they're working hard to figure out how they're going to be able to create um, a new retina and, and wow. all aspects of, this, of the inside of the eye to help restore vision. And so I'm, I'm very excited wow. to see that happen. Um, but it's not something that's readily available now, and we don't want people okay. to wait, you know, to basically stop living and not do the things necessary to help them have a good quality of life. Um, well, you heard that me. Happen. I haven't stopped living. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah, mm -hmm. you're, you're going. But we, want, we want everyone to be like you. So <laughs> I, actually, you're doing it. I would, I would like to say um, I was trying to work with a group to do some personal engagement with people and help them. Um, I'm still willing to do that. The group that I was trying to work with has not kept together. But uh, I am always willing to talk to folks and help them, tell them how I overcame the obstacles uh, in life. I mean, I lost my sight at 55, and uh, I have a lot of life left to live, so I couldn't let this, this stop me. Yeah, I applaud you for that. Yeah. Well, it's good to know that. Thank you, Kevin. I think it's always inspiring to have you come and tell us, and you're always so enthusiastic and encouraging. And this is why we have this forum for people who may not know about resources and may not know that there are ways to continue to cope and manage and to listen to these inspirational stories from other people. So we really appreciate every time you come on and you give us that little burst of energy that makes everybody feel like, wow, Kevin, you do so wonderfully great. Well, it's 12 noon. I had promised our guests that I wouldn't hold them longer. And I know they're both busy and have to get back to the to their patients. So, any final words, Mark or Julia, before you guys sign off? Suleiman, thank you for for moderating this. Uh, it's been a great pleasure to be on the call and uh, keep up the good work. <laughs> thank you, Mark. Yes, thank you so much. Um, it's been such a pleasure, and um, I, I always to talk to Mark and now to meet you, Suleiman. I would just want to end with a plug for the uh, National Eye Institute uh, website as a really great place for 
for, for resources. So that's the nei.nih.gov. And um, thanks, everyone, for allowing us to, to be a part of this call. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you both very much. And for the callers, you can all just stay on. We will still continue our discussion until 12.30. But um, again, I'd like to thank Mark and Julia very much for coming on. And since this call has been recorded, all the wonderful information they've provided us and the resources will be saved to the website where you can all go back and listen um, to the information in links. And as they mentioned, do try to look at the website and look through some of the resources and information that they provided. It's a very beautifully done um, website and it's very helpful indeed. So, Sean, are there any things that you want to say at this point before we open up for general questions and any other issues? Hi, Dr. Alibi, and thank you, uh, Dr. Wilkerson and Dr. Rosedahl, for a great presentation again. Um, so just a couple of announcements for everyone, and then we can move towards more open Q&A. Um, first off is our Low Vision guide, Resource Guidebook, Your Eyes and Low Vision, is still available, both in large print paperback or on our website at youreyes.org. Our team has compiled over 100 pages of resources and services relating to low vision, and if you've received one, please feel free and um, please know that we will be contacting, hoping to just get some feedback from you all to hear if it's helpful what we, and what we can do to also improve the guidebook for future versions. Um, again, most this is a free guidebook, and if you're interested in getting one, you can give our hotline a call at 301-951-4444 or email us at events at youreyes.org. And we welcome you to share with anyone who you think might be interested as well. Right now, our Low Vision Learning Center continues our remote operations. However, with all of the health guidance um, starting to change and develop, we are looking at developing a reopening plan. So please, please, please stay tuned for updates. Once we have something um, set in stone for everyone, we will be communicating with you all because we're very excited to be able to have that center open again so people can come see technology and meet with our resource specialists in person as well. And then finally, if you or someone you know would like to be added to our newsletter mailing list, which is how you can get our newsletter and also how you'll get all of these important updates that we're sharing, give our hotline a call at 301-951-4444 or email us at events at youreyes.org. So those are our major announcements, and I just want to open up for general Q&A, and Dr. Alibi, I can start while people are unmuting themselves. We had a couple people emailing a couple questions. So the first one is about um, this individual. Is he, They have an iPad, and they're curious if reading on an iPad is really harmful to their eyes. This person has early onset macular degeneration and they often wear yellow lens glasses and use larger dark print on the iPad. So I guess the question is, is, is there any damage potential or is it higher risk to
to hurt your eyes using an iPad? All right. Well, that's a great question. Thank you, Sean, and thank you for whoever emailed. And the bottom line is no, it won't hurt your eyes even if you have macular degeneration or glaucoma or whatever eye condition you have. It doesn't hurt your eyes to use the iPad. Of course, nowadays, all of us, whether we are visually impaired or not, seem to be in front of these screens a lot more. And during the pandemic, we probably spent far too much time in front of our screens since we weren't getting around and going about as much. And that's where that 20-20-20 rule that Julia alluded to came into play. So what we experience is this physical fatigue and strain that occurs from staring at a screen and looking at things up close. And so it's a good idea every 20 minutes, take a break for at least 20 seconds and look 20 feet away that relieves the stress and strain on the eyes. So there is no harm from spending time in front of these screens, but there is that physical stress and strain that occurs um, that you need to relieve yourself from. Now, some studies have been done about children, and maybe children shouldn't be spending as much time as they should since their eyes are young and developing and they probably need to spend more time outdoors doing things than the amount of time they spend on screens. But I hope that helps um, answer that question. So I'm going to open up to general questions. If anybody wants to ask a question, about what Mark and Julia talked about today through the NEHEP program, or if you have any specific questions related to low vision services and resources in this area, uh, feel free to unmute yourself and we can have a discussion. Or again, anybody have any comments? Those have been very useful and helpful too. And as a reminder to unmute yourself, press the star button twice or the asterisk key twice. Hello? Yes, go Hello. ahead. Does, does Dr. Alibi have a catalog with visual aids that I could have? You know, like, for example, I have a Years ago, I got this little color doodad that tells me what color I'm wearing at the time or something like that. Does he have a, a catalog with visual aids? So I'll tell you that I I don't have any catalogs that I give to people routinely and say, just get this from a catalog. Um, there are catalogs like that. There are certainly a number of companies that advertise products for visually impaired people. And a lot of these companies advertise products for hearing impairment and physical difficulties with walking and so on and so forth. Okay. So they, they can be helpful, but I don't specifically have any catalogs that I give out. Um, Sean, does the Low Vision Resource Center keep things like that? 
Hi, we periodically will get the catalogs, but the main places that um, the catalogs come from are uh, two different companies. I'm going to say them out loud, so you may want to have something ready to write with or something to record with. Okay. The first is Maxi AIDS, M-A-X-I-A-I-D-S, and they have a website as well. And the other one is L-S and S products. Those are the two main ones. They sell very similar things. Um, like those little, it sounds like you like those little gadgets that like tell you what colors is and some talking products and things like that. So they have those available. And um, if you're, you can go to their website. If you don't, if you prefer not to go to their website, you can give our hotline a call and they'll be able to provide you with a phone number. And what's your, your hotline is the one that was on this. Your hotline uh, is? Yeah. 301-951-4444. Can I just add for simple things like colors, you can there are apps that you can add to your phone. One is called Seeing AI. It will yeah, tell see, you colors. Okay. It will tell you currency. Um, it will even read labels on products and tell you what the product is if you can't see the print. Okay. Thank. Thank you, Dan. Mhm. Okay, is there 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 isn't any surgery for glaucoma, right? I mean, there's nothing they can do. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. There isn't any what surgery? Surgery for glaucoma. I mean, there's nothing you can operate on that would get your vision better. People people with glaucoma do have surgery done. And that's done to reduce and relieve the pressure in the eye. Yeah, that so, that I've yeah. had done. Yeah, yeah, I've had that. Done. Yeah, but there's nothing yeah, so. with the eye itself. Okay. All right. I thank you very much. It was very informative. I listened to the first part, and it was very good. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you for thank calling you. in. Okay. Bye bye. Any other questions out there? Anybody have any comments or discussion that they would like to bring um, up today? I don't, I don't know if you can hear me. Are you able to hear me? We can hear you perfectly well. Go ahead. Thank you. Um, can you repeat the name of the, the catalog? Was it LSS or LS and S? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch it. LSS. Yeah. LSS. Okay. And can you repeat your uh, website, uh, your email? Is it event or events at youreyes.org? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It is events. So, like, when you go to an event and, like, a party, E-V-E-N-T-S at youreyes.org. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome.
Anybody else have any comments or questions? Dr. Alibi, we had another question emailed in, and it's pertaining to low vision rehabilitation. So I thought you might be a great person to ask about this. Okay, so the go question. Ahead. <laughs> so the question is: Is vision rehabilitation similar to um, how you know physical rehabilitation or physical therapy is in that you keep going until you improve, or is there a specific start or end? time period when it comes to vision rehabilitation. Thank you, Sean. Again, it's a very, very good question. And vision rehabilitation is a little bit different from undergoing occupational or physical therapy, perhaps, because when you, when you are referred for occupational or physical therapy, you're usually told um, you're going to have so many sessions of something and hope to get to a certain level or point of function. And then those services are discontinued. When we provide vision rehabilitation, we continue to do that concurrently with your eye doctor. So many of you today have talked about glaucoma or retina conditions. And that means you're seeing glaucoma specialists and retina specialists as well. So you keep going back to them for the treatment of the disease or condition you have. And at the same time, you're referred to a low vision specialist or a vision rehabilitation team that continue to address the issues that you're having difficulty with. So it's it's kind of an ongoing process, and I never try to think of it as a start and finish. I don't think I've ever said to a patient, well, I'm done with you now. You're fully rehabilitated. You can go, and you don't need my services anymore. I have had patients who said, I can now do those things which I couldn't do. I have now learned and got the right tools, and I feel independent. I feel I'm able to do those things which were giving me trouble. And at that point, I might say to the patient, well, from this point onward, it's up to you to decide when you need to come back. If you feel that something changes or if you feel your functioning is now impacted in some other area, then let's readdress those issues and see what more can be done to improve those things. So, I think a vision rehabilitation is really an ongoing process that's concurrent and that you and I or you and your rehabilitation therapist or team is working with you as a team to continually identify things that are difficult to see to do and trying to develop tools and strategies to help you stay safe and independent. So I hope that helps sort of explain better what re vision rehabilitation means as opposed to physical therapy or occupational therapy. Very good questions. Thank Anybody you, Anybody else out there have a question? Yes. Uh, Bob Rosenberg. Go ahead. Uh, back to my 
question I asked earlier and was told the answer to get a referral from my eye doctor. Does the does the eye doctor send this referral uh, directly to NIH or does she give it to me to provide to you? How does how do I go about getting my eye doctor to uh, uh, communicate the need for me to get help? Right. That was the question about if I want to be referred to the National Eye Institute for any kind of clinical trials, then how does one go about that? And as I had mentioned earlier, it's not like you, you call up their phone number and say, I'd like to come in to be seen. You do need to be referred. So the answer is yes. Your eye doctor, he or she, would write a report or a request and fax it. That's typically how we tend to do things with the National Eye Institute. We actually have it faxed to the National Eye Institute and they do what's called a screening visit to begin with. So um, I'll try and explain that. Sometimes a patient is referred for a very specific thing. Let's say they have wet macular degeneration and they're a good candidate for a new trial for treatment of wet macular degeneration and your doctor is aware of that and your doctor might say, you know, at this point, the conventional treatment is this, but there is an opportunity to provide, to participate, I'm sorry, in a clinical trial. I'm going to write a letter and send it into the National Eye Institute and that way they can determine whether your vision parameters meet the requirements of that clinical trial. And so that's a very specific request for a very specific trial. And then the doctors there would review the report sent by your eye doctor and then call you and say, okay, you're going to come in for this trial and you're scheduled for this time at this place, and they'll send you all that information. Then they do an eye exam, an evaluation, and only at the end of it do they tell you, yes, you are a good candidate for this trial. Let, let, let me explain to you what the trial is. And you sign paperwork saying, okay, I consent to this trial and I'm going to participate. Or they might say to you, you know what? you do have this wet macular degeneration or whatever the condition is, but at this point, for whatever reason, you don't actually meet the parameters of this clinical trial. So we're not able to enroll you in this trial and you, know, you continue with your regular eye doctor. Or they might say, the one they sent you for is not the right one. Here's a different one we can tell you about that you could participate in. So that's how they would enroll you. Sometimes and people just have. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ask your question. What is what is what is the fax number she would send this to? You know, I don't have that fax number off the top of my head, but I can let Sean know, and I can let uh, you can then contact the three zero one nine five one forty four forty four number, and. Um, 
you know, you can get that fax number. I'm sure, though, your eye doctor would know uh, the where to refer to um, at the National Eye Institute. Most of us have that kind of information. Um, okay. But there is a set fax number, and I will I will give it to Sean so that if anybody wants to know how does their doctor refer to the National Eye Institute, I can give you um, that information. Excellent. Thank you. Mhm. Mm mhm. Any other questions related to that? In addition to the NEI, go ahead. No, go ahead. In addition to the NEI, what were you going to say? Sure. In addition to NEI, you also see patients outside of NEI. I just want to clarify that as well. That's right. My situation is rather unusual because really I'm a private practitioner who sees patients and bills for patients through regular Medicare or whatever insurance you have. And I work under the auspices of the Prevention of Blindness Society because they provide the infrastructure through which I work, through the offices and the spaces that I use. At the same time, I'm a contractor to the National Eye Institute. So because the National Eye Institute doesn't have a defined low vision clinic, if you like, they have a defined retina clinic, a defined... Um, I think they have a glaucoma clinic right now, you know, and they have a defined um, uh, uh, uveitis and other inflammatory conditions of the eyes clinic, but they don't have a defined low vision clinic per se. So what I do is about once a month, I go to the National Eye Institute and I will see the patients who are in these clinical trials and provide the same type of services and things that I do in my own private practice under the POB um, uh, wing. So the difference is, of course, at the National Eye Institute, you are not paying for any of these services. You're not using insurance or anything like that. And so this is something that is done um, just through this National Eye Institute's clinical uh, research program. So that's, that's the difference. So you won't see, I don't typically see the same patients I see at the National Eye Institute in my private practice as well, and vice versa, all right? So there is a, there is a difference and a distinction there. So I hope that clarifies things as well. I have a question on clarification. Go ahead. Um, I'm a little confused as to where a rehabilitation, low vision rehabilitation team comes about, how that comes about. Um, I don't have any team at the retina doctors, um, so I'm just not sure how that whole thing comes about. Okay, let me see if I can explain that as well. In the ideal world, a team would be all under one continuum roof, right? Where you could just say, I go for my retinas, 
evaluation, and then I go see my rehabilitation team as well. That model doesn't exist in the private world outside institutions. So, for example, let's say you were a veteran and you got your services from the VA. The VA does have this sort of continuum. So you'd be seeing a retina specialist, a glaucoma specialist, and at the same time, you would be part of a rehabilitation team. And, and, and the VA is called VIST. I've forgotten what the acronym stands for now, but Visually Impaired Services Team is, I think, what they actually call it. So under the VIST program, you would automatically have access to a low vision optometrist, somebody like myself, an occupational therapist who might come out to the home and set things up, an orientation and mobility trainer, that's somebody who teaches you safety with walking and use of a white cane. There are social workers who deal with the emotional aspects of losing vision. And there could be technology specialists too, or te uh, technicians who specialize in technology. And all, all of that is under the VA, under one model or one continuum of care where you, the patient, are the center of that care. And like a big circle, all these other services are feeding into you. In the real world, we don't have that. You know, this is one of the struggles why this idea of where do we get resources for vision rehabilitation. So, for example, when I see patients, I then work with the Department of Rehabilitation Services that Kevin spoke about today. I would actually refer you because they come to the home and do an assessment and evaluation. I refer to an occupational therapist. I, we've had Lynn Stevens and Christine Wang here who are occupational therapists who go out into the real world. I refer to orientation and mobility specialists. So I might refer you to the DC Rehab Services Administration who do orientation and mobility training. I might refer you even to a social worker. We've had Nina Glasner come here and talk about counseling, about how to cope with, with vision issues. So this is the so-called team, but it isn't under one collective roof, so to speak. It's little pieces out there that we try then to tie together, and me as a low vision specialist tries to coordinate all of those um, different resources that are available in the area. Okay? So it is okay. a little different, and I know... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. I understand that. So when I see my... My retina specialist on my 28-day visit, every 28 days, then I will pressure, well, I will ask, <laughs> because I have alluded before, is there anything out there he could refer me to to help me with this, that, and the other? Um, and he did not. And he's part of a very okay. large retina group. The retina yeah, group of we Washington. hear that often. Yeah, we hear that often, you know, and and maybe it's because sometimes they get so busy and involved with the medical aspects of the treatment that 
they may not always remember to say to you, oh, and by the way, you know, take advantage right. of the resources right. in our community. And and that office is hectic. I mean, it's like all these patients. It's a, it's a you know, I, I understand not having that ability. So how do I find all these different resources that I need, like the occupational therapist and the whatever, you know, yeah, so our you know our resource hotline will always give you all that information as well. That's that 301 number that you've heard Sean mention quite often. And ideally, you should see a low vision specialist who then can help navigate some of that because some of it you may not need yet. You know, you might not need right. uh, to learn to walk with a white cane. You know. So right, right. So a low vision specialist, uh, how would I find a specialist like that? Is that you? I'm one of them. I'm not the only one though. So yeah. Well maybe I'll you ask for a ask. referral from my, my, my retina guy and see what happens. Yeah. See what happens. Another Let then us I'll know be at back. the next town hall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. That clarified it. Um not a solution completely for me, but it did clarify it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your question. Sean, I see it's 1230. I'm handing it back to you now. All right. Thank you, Dr. Alibi, and thank you to everyone for joining us today. If you did not get a chance to ask your question, please give us a call at our hotline or email us, and we will be sure to include in our next town hall Otherwise, I hope everyone has a great rest of their week and a great rest of their month, and I will see you all again soon. Take care, everyone.